Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hudson, right hand shot. episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Nights and on today's episode as voted for by the users of Twitter and the listeners this is the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas from February 1990 thank you first of all to Doug Campbell at DC Sports Value on Twitter for putting the picks out for this particular poll great picks in it and I'm really excited to be talking about one of the biggest shocks if not the biggest shock upset in modern boxing history where Mike Tyson went over to Tokyo and he faced off against 42 to 1 James Buster Douglas regular guest on the show and co-host of the legendary night series Johnston Brown is on the line to discuss the tale of Tyson versus Douglas from February 1990 but before we get into the episode and start to talk about one of the biggest upsets in boxing history i want to thank the guys that have listened to my messages on the podcast about going over and rating us in particular on apple podcast i've noticed a couple of extra ratings on there this week
week with some great reviews from an N. Stewart. Thank you, Mr. Stewart. You've made my week with a great review of the podcast. I implore people to please keep going on to Apple Podcasts or onto Podbean or to Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify. We really appreciate all the support that you're giving us. And even just an extra couple of ratings a week really helps boost our podcast up there, up the rankings. When you go and search for Boxing Podcasts, you're going to see us a little bit more because we are getting the support that we need to get us up there. And remember, we're independent. We don't have this big platform to do these episodes on. We don't have a studio to do it on. We don't hire someone's studio to do it out. We literally go off the basic equipment that you need to be able to produce and edit a podcast. So please keep going on and rating the podcast. Keep going on and subscribing on all the available platforms. And please go and tell your friends about us on social media and tag us in because it's really appreciated and it really helps. So enough of the housekeeping rules. Let's get into this episode then. This is the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas, the biggest upset in boxing history. And we are live inside Korakuen Stadium in Tokyo, Japan, as HBO Sports presents World Championship Boxing. Tonight, undisputed heavyweight champion Mike Tyson's 10th title defense against the challenger James Buster Douglas. It is scheduled for 12 rounds. So this is it, this is the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas from way back in February 1990. Johnston, this is a fight I know, as always, we've both been looking forward to because it is the biggest upset in boxing history and one of the biggest upsets in sporting history. Absolutely, Sean. It it really was a massive shock at the time. Um, And as you say, uh, definitely one of the greatest sporting upsets in history, let alone boxing. Um, And and it's a great one to cover. I mean, we all love Tyson and it's great to go through his career and and obviously what happened before and after and and obviously Buster Douglas as well, who shot to fame through his victory. So really looking forward to going through this one with you. And as always, with the Legendary Night series, what we're going to do is we're going to cover off both careers leading up to the famous bout. We're going to cover off the build-up because this build-up has got so many intricate details for us to discuss with things that happened in the lead-up to this particular fight for both men that it's probably going to take us at least half an hour to go through that. But I am very much looking forward to it because there is a lot of good stuff to cover off with this particular fight. And we'll cover the fight breakdown and we'll also cover the aftermath of what what happened for both men in their careers and their lives after this epic bout. So let's begin and go to Mr. James Buster Douglas first. And let's look a little bit into his career leading up to this particular bout. Because not a lot of people remember what James Buster Douglas achieved other than this particular win over Mike Tyson and I said this to you before we started this episode that it feels like James Buster Douglas was this one hit wonder a guy who'd released a a music album or a song and we never heard from him again and that actually in reality was kind of what his career was like because going back to his career he, he 
didn't really have the most successful of careers in terms of what he achieved overall in the sport. However, this particular fight was what put him on the map because of what he got out of the victory and, and what it led to on the back of the victory as well. But he didn't actually get any success until sort of six years into his career when he really started to push on. And the first major bout he was involved in was in 1987, bearing in mind he'd been a pro for six years at this point, and he went in to fight for the vacant IBF heavyweight title of the world against Tony Tucker, who was 33-0 and at the time. And this particular fight with Tony Tucker did showcase that Buster Douglas did have talent. And this was, for most people, the first time they really got to see Buster Douglas as the talented fighter that he was at the time in the heavyweight division. However, he lost to Tony Tucker. He, he seemed to run out of steam in that fight, watching that bag. He was quite a talented fighter, but he, he ran out of steam against Tony Tucker and eventually got stopped on his feet. And that was his first attempt at a world title. But then... He goes in the ring and fights again, gets a good few wins under his belt, including wins over Trevor Burbeck and Oliver McCall before he got this fight with Mike Tyson. So he did have some great notable names on his record leading up to the fight with Tyson, and which is why he got the fight with Tyson. But going over to yourself, Johnston, when you look at James Buster Douglas's career, other than obviously this big fight that we're talking about this evening, would you have... Would you have thought of James Buster Douglas as a name to have popped out as a heavyweight great? Or is it just a case of he's always going to be associated with Mike Tyson because of the victory? It's, 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 it's his victory. This is, this is his, his biggest moment in his career. Um, as you say, obviously, the Tony Tucker fight was... Uh, he, he was up on the scorecards before he just began to tire, really, and he just quit. Basically, I was just thinking, probably not quit. He just, he was just done. Basically, he blew his gas tank, if you like. Um, but he was, he was doing well from the beginning. So there was obviously some talent there. Um, but you know, this is what he will always be remembered as the biggest upset in the history of heavyweight championship boxing. Um, you know, it, that is, that is what Buster Douglas will always be known for. But as you have already mentioned, in terms of uh, he had that run where he beat. Trevor Burbeck, he beat Oliver McCall just before the Tyson fight. He also beat Mike Williams um, as well. He was also a, a pretty decent name on there. Um, so, you know, he, he after the Tony Tucker defeat, he obviously sorted himself out. Uh, I think he had, I believe, reading, reading stuff, because obviously I don't remember Buster Douglas um, until the day, obviously the 1995 with Tyson. So, but he did have a, he had a disagreement. I think I believe with his father. So he stood with his father after the tackle fight, and then obviously it worked in his favour because he did go on this a uh, good run to get himself in pole position to fight Mike Tyson in 1990 in Tokyo. Well, when we go back to the fights with Trevor Burbeck and Oliver McCall, you've got to remember that Trevor Burbeck was the man Mike Tyson beat to win his first World Heavyweight title, which is something we'll touch on when we speak about Tyson's career. So Trevor Burbeck at this point when he beat him was 1989. Tyson beat him in 86 to win the world title. So Trevor Burbeck was obviously a former world champion in his own right. And when he beat him in 1989, when Douglas beat him, 
Williams. That was a fantastic win for him. A great win over Mike Williams, as you rightly pointed out. And then obviously a young Oliver McCall, who would eventually go on to become a world champion, getting a shock win over Lennox Lewis later on down the line in his career. So when you look back at the names, actually there's, there's, there's three or four good names he really was involved with throughout the course of his career. Uh, and as we touch on in the aftermath of this particular bout, we'll be talking about some of the other names that he was involved with. But when I think about James Wester Douglas, obviously the only thing I think about is Mike Tyson and the two the two go together and the two will always go together and it's for James Buster Douglas that he will always be remembered as the guy who beat Mike Tyson so he had what could have been an average career but with this particular victory that we're talking about and this fight we're talking about it turned it into a more than average career it turned it into a great career the fact that he went in against an undisputed champion and, and got the victory so he going into this fight it had a great apprenticeship going into it, especially beating the likes of Williams, Burbick and McCall. They were three great victories, as you said, on the bounce, which led to him being ranked highly enough to be given an opportunity to fight Mike Tyson. When he beat all three of them names I've mentioned, that put him in position to be ranked by the IBF at number two, the WBC at number three and the WBA at number four. And they were happy for James Buster Douglas to be the next defence for all of them belts when he went in with Mike Tyson so let's move to Mike Tyson then because there's obviously going to be a lot more to talk about with Mike Tyson because at this time in history he was the best thing since sliced bread he was the next coming of the heavyweight division he was the the new era of heavyweight boxing at this moment in time and he had had an absolute fantastic resume on his career going into this fight that the, the likes of the guys that he beat going up to this particular fight with James Buster Douglas it made him the invincible guy he was it made him the baddest man on the planet it made him Iron Mike Tyson this was what everybody loved about the guy, the ferociousness the the, the uppercuts, the head movement the fact that he was only about 5'10 5'11, you know he wasn't your typical heavyweight 6 foot plus, this guy was coming underneath uh, and he would throw shots into such bigger guys and he was used to fighting bigger guys, so going back to Tyson then, early memories of him Johnston, I know Oh, you as a big fan of Tyson, as was I. When was the first time you you encountered him as a fighter growing up? Uh, well, as a kid, I, I was uh, I followed Bruno. I was uh, with, with my brother. I was a Bruno fan, so I always uh, he, he you know he was uh, a fan, a family favourite, if you like. Real love Bruno. Um, so when he obviously fought the first time against Mike Tyson um, in '89, that was uh, that was probably the time that I you know I, I knew of Tyson already. I was only eight or eight nine years old, so um, you know I knew how destructive he was. I mean, he was it was just formidable force, wasn't he? It was just unbelievable. Just it was just dominating bigger guys, older guys, series. You know, these some of these fellas, you know, they weren't just journeymen. These were well. Oh, the former world champions, or they were world champions to, to be. You know, it was he is just unbelievable. It's not it's, the words. It's just ferocious. He's terrifying. Every single opponent he ever fought, literally, you could just see it in their eyes. With Sphinx, with Burbick, with, with even Bruno, he just literally scared the laugh out of these guys. Um, so yeah, it, I knew of Tyson as a youngster. He was one of the first boxers I ever heard of. So Tyson has always been, you know, always been a keen admirer of his fights. I mean, he was. Interesting to watch. Um, 
But as I say, with, with, with Frank Bruno, I, I always rooted for Bruno, but unfortunately, uh, he didn't quite come up trumps against Tyson because he was just an animal. Well, going back to then Tyson's career, obviously here in America, he was he was really sought after uh, at the point he turned professional because when he turned professional, he had a he had a really good amateur career leading up to it under Customado, and obviously then going into his professional career, he he just started to knock fighters out for the fun of it. You know, he was knocking guys out left, right, and center, and he was getting this reputation as a ferocious puncher. And as time went on, you know, it was it was ridiculous. Like looking back on the amount of fights he had to get him to that world title level before we went in with Trevor Burbick for his first world title you're looking 1985 when he turned professional he, he had like I think it was like a dozen fights I think it was something along the line of a 15. dozen fights 15 there you go yeah. 15 fights he was involved in in his first year as a professional it's totally unheard of in this day and age there's no way you would see any professional in 2019 going in the ring and having 15 fights but he was knocking them all out for fun that was the thing so he was really fresh really active and I don't think they rushed him looking back I think it was it was the right thing for them to do because he was really fresh he was knocking them out for fun he weren't even breaking a sweat with half of the guys he was going in the ring with and when he started to up the level against the guys like James Tillis and Mitch Green that's when you started to know he, he was the real deal although them two guys took him the distance in 1986 it's shown that he was ready to sort of step up to the world level he then beat the nephew of the late Joe Frazier Marvy Frazier in 1986 who was 16-1 and at the time and then he'd beat Jose Ribalta and Alfonso Ratliff both by TKO victories in, in within the space of a month of each other before then he got this fight with Trevor Burbick which was in the November of 1986 and was for the WBC heavyweight title and it was his first big stage and what a historic night it was when he beat Trevor Burbick it made him the youngest ever heavyweight champion in boxing history at just the age of 20 yeah and that still that, that record still remains today um, it's unbelievable isn't it really those you know all those fights in 1985 um, and it was a turbulent turbulent sort of year for him because obviously um, his mum died in 84 um, just before he turned pro I and mean, then obviously Customato was you know he was an older guy he had, for people that didn't know he was Floyd Patterson's trainer uh, sort of decade or a couple of decades before so um you know he was an established name um actually i've got a quote that castamato when he actually set eyes on mike tyson he was a 13 year old and he said that's the future heavyweight champion in the world so he knew straight away i mean he was 13 years old tyson scaling you know tipping the scales at 200 pounds so you know if for a short guy as you say like in heavyweight sort of you know in terms of heavyweights he was you know 511 or whatever he was i mean 200 pounds he was weighing at 13 years old just pure muscle i mean the guy was just an animal so um but yeah although he was blazing guys out sort of in the first round as, as i say cuff his mum had died cuff become his legal guardian and then a year later cuff died but fortunately like with uh with the, the, the trio as in it was it was bill Kate and and uh, and it was Jacobs, Jim Jacobs. So those three were sort of a trio that sort of kept Tyson grounded, if you like. So as he was bursting through these guys in '85, um, sorry, uh, yeah, '85, it, it was it, it, like he had a good a good network behind him. So he was always it was it would have gone off the rails as a youngster. They stabilised him, and, and that was always a major factor for Tyson. He needed that, I think, for Tyson to just continue to just be as successful as he was in the ring. And obviously with uh, with the Mitch Green as well, he was a 
he's a colourful character, Mitch Green. Uh, there was a, a, a bit of drama uh, with Mitch Blood Green because he was going to pull out of that fight because uh, they only gave him 30 grand and I believe he thought he was going to get more. In, in the end, they, they convinced him to take the fight and he took him the distance. But still to this day, I think Mitch Green still bangs on about the fact that he got <laughs> he, sh- he deserves a rematch. He should get more money. So uh, quite funny, but we'll come on back onto Mitch Green later on um, as we go across the Carson's career. But yeah, I mean... It was in no time, was it really? That that Trevor Burbick fight, he was, he could tell Trevor weren't interested. He was, he was petrified, um, and it, and it was part of the heavyweight undisputed series, which was also uh, produced by HBO and promoted by Don King. So you know, it was a, it was a, a load of fighters that were WBC, WBA, and IBS. I know WBO at the time, but they were all champions. They were trying to trying to find the established undisputed heavyweight champion in the world. So this was the first fight. Sort of for Tyson in the series, and he and he absolutely demolished Burbick in two rounds. He did, and that was like the equivalent of the World Boxing Super Series in 2019. They got the best fighters at the round at the time, and the best champions around at the time, uh, and made them basically all face off against one another to, to see who was going to be the undisputed champion. The next opponent was James Bond Crusher Smith, who, as had been on our podcast, he's been on BTR Boxing Podcast, and we interviewed him for the life and times of. And one of the, obviously the questions was about Mike Tyson, and one of the things he always said was that when he got hit, oh damn sure he got hurt, but he weren't going down. And that was one thing he said was that a lot of the opponents of Tyson around that era were always petrified of him. You know, a lot of them lost the fight before they'd even stepped in the ropes because of this aura of him being able to knock all the opponents out. So he went twelve rounds, James Bone Crusher Smith with Mike Tyson, and as a result, Mike Tyson then picked up James Smith's. WBA world title so he then became a double champion at this point he then defended it again two months later against Pinkman Thomas by stopping Pinkman Thomas quite emphatically as well and then he moved on to the next part of this undisputed series which was 1987 by picking up the IBF title as well beating Tony Tucker who was 34 and 0 at this point by the way he was obviously another great name on the resume because he was undefeated and this was a big deal back in 1987 this was a guy that was potentially going to go in there and upset the apple cart but he didn't he lasted the distance with Tyson Tyson gave him a hell of a night and Tony Tucker gave Tyson a hell of a night but then by this point 1987 a 21 year old Mike Tyson had three world titles to his name oh he was just blazing through him I mean you talk about Trevor Burbeck destroying him obviously uh Smith, as you've mentioned, who's been on the show, he's a great listener, by the way. Do have a listen to that. Um, Pink and Thomas, and then obviously the Tony Tucker fight. And funny enough, Tony Tucker had actually beaten Douglas as well in, in the series. So, you know, ironically, that could have been Douglas, you know, if, if Douglas had have managed to, to, to continue the way he started the fight against Tony Tucker. He could have gone on to win that on points, but unfortunately for him, it wasn't to be. But as you say, Tony Tucker was undefeated at the time, um, and, you know, he, he had won the IBF title from. Um, Against Spinks, uh, against sorry Douglas, because Spinks had actually been stripped of his title because Spinks decided to fight Jerry Cooney instead of Tucker because it was more of a lucrative deal when there was more money involved. So, so you know, there was a, there was again, you know, this '87 and there's still politics there with the RBS stripping fighters and you know, inevitably, I think we all wanted that. Well, you know, I say we, the fans watching at the time. I mean, I was a youngster, you were the youngster, so we weren't around. But you know, you could imagine the fans wanting to. They really wanted to see Spinks Tyson. Unfortunately, that wasn't to be. But Tucker performed. You know, he put in a great performance against Tyson, and um, it was unfortunate. I mean, in the end, he got he got he lost on points. But 
again, Tyson was just formidable, wasn't he? he just he was just looking dangerous, and, and it was just a matter of time before he won the series, basically. Well, then he moved on to beat Tyrell Biggs, defending them three titles two months after beating Tony Tucker. He then beat Larry Holmes. Now, the interesting Larry Holmes fight was that people will know. Th- that before the fight, Muhammad Ali was in the ring with Mike Tyson, and from Ty- this is what Tyson has obviously quoted to say was that he went, "Go and get him for me, go and get him for me." I, I can't exactly say they were the hundred percent the guaranteed words that were said, but in various different interviews that you will hear over the years, especially Tyson himself, Larry Holmes had obviously beaten a, a former sort of shell of himself in Muhammad Ali earlier on in the 1980s as he was at the end of his career Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali basically says you know you're the future of heavyweight boxing to Mike Tyson and whispers in his ear in the ring just as the fight's about to start go and get him for me or go and do him for me I think it was one or the other that he actually said to him uh, and he absolutely obliterated Larry Holmes who had been a wonderful champion throughout the late 70s and 1980s going up to this point. He he was an absolute monster of a heavyweight champion when it was his time as heavyweight king. And Tyson went in there and absolutely destroyed him. Oh, absolutely destroyed. I mean, he was, he was obviously uh, coming to the end of his career, Larry. And, you know, he, he had, oh, I say, I say the end of his, he went on for a while, didn't he? But, um, it, you know, he was an established guy. And obviously he was the link as well, wasn't he? That first link, he was Larry Holmes had beaten Ali. Um, and then obviously Tyson beating Holmes. It, it's almost like a link, a chain, if you like, between Ali and Tyson. Obviously, as you say, Ali being in the ring as well, saying, go and get him for me. Um, so, yeah, it was that was probably the significant fight in terms of it, it sort of, it, you know, was it plausible at the time that maybe, you know, is Tyson going to dominate the heavyweight division? I think it was pretty clear. Um, it was just a matter of if, if it could happen or not. And, you know, I think most people sort of relating, would I Mike, uh, you know, would he be challenging the likes of Joe Lewis's record, for instance? And, and you know, that, that was just, you know, those links were, you know, you can't deny that Tyson was just unbelievable. He was, as you say, I mean, these guys were established fellas and, and to just do what he did to, to Larry Holmes is unbelievable. And, and again, it, you know, these sort of, these, this is the time when Tyson was starting to be row a little bit because, again, Jacobs, he was one of the... Sort of, so he lost Carson in, and then Jacobs died in 88 of leukaemia. So then you had this issue because he also had his, his new wife who was actually in the crowd at the time as well that watched the Larry Holmes fight who was um, uh, Gibbons. Is that her name? I always forget her first name. Robin but, Gibbons. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So and obviously she was in... She was her. She had a famous mum. So Herbert and Don King. So they were sort of like a... You know, the devils, if you... I say devils, it's probably a bad way of putting it. But they were like the devil in his ear. So to, you know, to get rid of Kate and who's the last remaining of that that trio that, that kept sort of Tyson grounded. So there were signs of problems developing after that Larry Holmes fight and obviously being in the public. And then, I, and then Givens, I think in June 88, he actually came out publicly and, and said that, you know, that she he had been beating her up. And, I, I, and Tyson come out with a quote saying that, um, uh, with a grin sort of, um, basically just saying that if I had a her, then, you know, there's no, she, I would have ripped her head off. So there's basically, <laughs> it's all lies and uh, he never laid a finger on her. So these were the sort of things that were happening in the background, sort of in the build up to the Douglas. And obviously he was still knocking people out. He was still doing his business in the ring. But, you know, it is the, these sort of bits that, that eventually 
takes his talent class. Yeah, exactly. And this is where we start to talk about these types of things when we lead into the build-up to the, the particular fight. And touching on the fights that were happening in the ring while all this was going on outside the ring, he beat Tony Tubbs in his first trip over to Tokyo, which was a great win for him, stopping Tony Tubbs. He then had a great build-up to a fight with Michael Spinks. Now, that fight was, was so heavily built up because Michael Spinks was 31-0 at the time. He was obviously being touted as the guy that could potentially derail Tyson at this point in time. And Tyson absolutely <laughs> obliterated him in the first round before moving on to our very own and very beloved Frank Bruno, which, looking back on the Frank Bruno fight, I thought that was I thought that was an excellent fight. When you look back on it, it was a very exciting fight. Obviously, Bruno had failed in his previous attempts at becoming world champion and was going in against a prime Mike Tyson. And I, I will never forget, and it sends shivers up my spine at the moment with seeing that little bit of chinking the armour from Mike Tyson. The moment Bruno landed a left hook on Tyson, and then you had, I think it was Red, Reg Gutteridge doing the commentary, going absolutely ballistic when Frank Bruno had landed that shot on, on Mike Tyson. But Mike Tyson, as ferocious as he was, still managed to walk through it and, and eventually stopped Frank Bruno, and Frank Bruno gave an absolutely valiant effort. And then he goes in one more time before the Douglas fight and fights Carl Williams and getting another stoppage. Yeah, the Bruno fight was obviously, uh, I was talking, talking about it with you beforehand, and I was in primary school having, having a debate with my friend about who was going to win, and I thought Bruno would win, you know, eight years old, nine years old, you, you could probably forgive me for thinking that, because there was no chance that Bruno was going to ever win the fight, um, but again, I mean, that, that Bruno fight, was a fight, you know, if anyone ain't seen it, go back and have a look on YouTube, it's brilliant, and, and you know, Bruno rocking Tyson, uh, it, that was unbelievable to witness that, I mean, everybody, as you said, I think, was, that, was it Harry Carpenter that said, I think it might have been Harry Carpet and it said uh, he knows he's hurting and he even says get in there Frank and he, he yes. sort of thinks, oh, he even still says to this day that, that he really regrets the fact that he, he actually backed someone during commentary because he, he never likes to do that so um, but yeah that was just it does send goose, goosebumps down your spine but it really does it's, it's just a great watch if no one's ever seen it but um, in terms of uh, before the fight as well, going back to Mitch Green, it was an ironic situation where uh, at three in the morning, around, I think it was Brooklyn or wherever it was in, in, in New York, uh, Mike Tyson at 3am decided to, to go and get a, a coat from this from this coat place, uh, some sort of, uh, I don't know, I can't remember the exact name, but in the end, uh, you know, Mitch Green was a little bit partial to a bit of angel dust, so he shows up at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> demanding the money from the fight that he had with him a couple of years beforehand, and obviously Tyson whacks him and knocks him out. And there's 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 actually pictures of Mitch Green of a massive shiner, so he, you know you could have a look at it, see the footage. He was all over the sort of New York Times at the time, and and actually from that punch, it was Tyson uh, actually fractured his hand. So that's why that fight was delayed with Bruno after the Spinks fight. But again, Spinks his face. I will never forget Spinks' face. Just look, the, the, the pure, just fear in his eyes. He wouldn't even look at Tyson. And then that's, that was what, what Tyson was about. He had these guys beaten in the ring before they even stepped in the ring. And, and I think that, that will always stick with me that, you know, he was, although he was so ferocious in the ring, I, nobody just wanted to get hit by him. And they were just petrified of him. And, and as you say, going on, and he also then went on to beat Carl Williams as well. Um, but yeah, his life was obviously falling into, he's in self destruct mode at the time and everything was just going wrong. And he gets rid of Kevin 
Rooney, and it's all just a bit of a mess going into the Buster Douglas fight. I think when we look back on on this and we talk about the build up now, it's quite evident when we talk about some of the factual bits of information that it, it, it's definitely looking like it was really only going to go one way. I mean, it's probably some of the worst preparation for a fight you could possibly have. And years and years down the line, we hear all the stories about what really happened in the lead up to the fight, and we've got some interesting bits of information. So you mentioned the fact that he'd ditched Kevin Rooney, who was his long-time trainer and a guy who'd worked closely with him for a number of years, got him to this point, got him to that level, and then he ditched Kevin Rooney. There were so many influences and so many hangers-on around him at this point. It was it was untrue. So all the people that had kept him grounded up until this point were gone or had passed away. So, you know, you've got guys like Don King, who we could probably sit and do a separate episode on the guy himself because of how <laughs> slippery and how bad and how much of a money grabber this guy was it was untrue and, and it's funny because just on a side note it always reminds me of uh, Rocky Five that came out the same year when they had the promoter of, of Tommy Gunn who was definitely had a likeness to, to Don King the way he acted and the way they portrayed him in that in that film was, was definitely Don King but moving back onto point he had so many influences around him at the time and they weren't the good influences either so he'd lost Kevin Rooney he changed his trainer and he weren't he weren't taking orders from his trainer his trainer's telling him to go on a run and he'll go no I'll go on it when I want to go on it and stuff like that in hindsight now it it makes you realise why he lost the fight really because it wasn't just a a fantastic performance from Douglas on the night it was also some of the outside stuff that took precedent in the fight going into the fight as well and then obviously you had this stuff with Robin Givens hanging over him and allegations of him beating Robin Givens and then you know obviously he broke his hand punching Mitch Green as you was telling that story um, a minute ago and there was just so many things in the lead up to this fight and what made me what made me laugh was when you look back on the build up of the fight and the HBO coverage of the fight this is something that wouldn't happen in this day and age but they actually showed footage of Tyson getting dropped in sparring by Greg Page in the lead up to the Douglas fight as well which is that is something that you would never see in this day and age they would never admit whether someone had been dropped in sparring there'd always be rumours about it but you'd never publicly admit that someone was dropped in sparring in the lead up to this fight so really when you take everything into consideration it was quite a catastrophic build up for him wasn't it? Completely he was he, he was just in an absolute mess I mean he was losing it he was going off the rails and as I say you know the, the, the two deaths in his life and, and obviously then the split um, with with Kevin Rooney and Caton as well, I think it just it impacted his life, and it, it just it just fell to pieces. You know, it breaking his hand on Mitch Green before the Bruno fight, the delay in that, um, and then he it, it was he got knocked he knocked himself out, crashing his BMW into a tree. He went berserk in Moscow, where his wife was filming him smashing TV cameras, chasing Givens and his mother through the hotel lobby, <laughs> uh, and then Givens falls for the balls. Um, that was was the reason why he was all chasing <laughs> hurling furniture into the street um, and then he, he gets you know he, he leaves I mean it, it was just a mess Kevin obviously he, get, he, he sacks Kevin Rooney and then he, he, he Bill Caton's out the door and Don King's in it, it as you said it it's it's hard to believe that you didn't think he could lose because he was so even though this you know this was going on for and he's still knocking people out in the ring so maybe people just assume that you know it, he he's going to be fine and he'll just be another another body on his record but 
you know, Buster Douglas, to his credit, he proved everyone wrong. And he was also going from some bad times because he had just lost his mother a few, a few months before. Um, so he had that sort of, you know, that sort of pushing him on and, and being the underdog. And I think that sparked something in Buster Douglas. And uh, so you had two guys going into the ring completely separate. You know, one was almost on the decline or was on the decline. And then you had the other one who was, having this little spurt, this little purple patch in his boxing career. So, you know, you think about it, it was definitely one of the biggest, you know, it was, it was 42 to 1. And, and it was, it, you know, I think, I think it was the Mirage, wasn't it? The only ones that actually put a bet on, like you could put a bet on him. So, oh, it, it was just one of those situations where it was, it was, it was going to happen. It was just something that was going to happen. And, and, and it happened in Tokyo. And, and, you know, he had, he had the, Tokyo round him beforehand as well, so he was a mess, and uh, he didn't. He fought like nothing like I've ever seen before. He wasn't the Mike Tyson we had seen all those years, just literally destructing every single opponent that, that passed into. He, he got in the ring with. Today's episode of BTR Boxing Podcast is sponsored by Bear Attack Boxing. Check them out on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out their website www bearattackboxing.co.uk they've got another great product that's just been released the bear attack boxing master one focus pads they are the ideal pads for perfecting your boxing skills for getting your shots accurate and fast with the shock absorbent pad your hands and wrists will be protected the hook and loop strap makes it easy to secure your hands in the pads so go and check out that new product, which is only twenty four ninety nine at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk. Social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Find them, Bear Attack Boxing. But when you talk about the build-up for Buster Douglas as well, you talk about the fact that he'd lost his mother. Now, he lost his mother. It was only 23 days before the fight that he actually lost his mum. And... He was really, really close to his mum, and, and, and all the interviews that have taken place beforehand, taken place after the event, you know, it was such a significant period in his life, because at this point in time, he'd earned his way back up to a shot at the World Heavyweight title. As I said earlier, he was ranked number two, number three, and number four by the respective governing bodies, so he'd earned his way there, but the, the setbacks he suffered, through no fault of his own, in the lead-up to this particular fight, this would make you, this would be enough excuses for, for him to have lost that particular the fight really the fact that he lost his mum 23 days before the fight great deal to me and i'm gonna miss her tremendously but uh you know gotta go on the fact that he also had the mother of his son who was facing a severe kidney ailment and she'd contracted flu the day before the fight you know this this would make some people actually say no i'm not going ahead with it you know people would pull out in certain circumstances like this but there was obviously just something about james buster douglas where it was like what's the worst now that can happen to him he's lost his mum who he loved dearly the, the mother of his son's really poorly and there's obviously a concern over the welfare of, of the son because the mother was so poor but yet he still managed to keep his focus going in to this particular fight. So you think about the, the stuff that had gone on with Mike Tyson. That was that was by choice, by choice for Tyson because of his mental state of mind at the time. But for Douglas, none of that was by choice. That was all circumstantial because of what had happened outside of the ring. So 
when you de- dive deeper into the situation, really, I think for me, it makes me feel like the writing is completely on the wall when it comes to the events that happened in the fight, which is what we're going to move on to in a second. We're going to move on to the fight and talk about the fight itself. The fact that it was held in Japan was all about the money because he'd been there two years before Tyson. The Japanese decided that they wanted him back because he was such a big draw that they actually paid $6 million to the boxing officials for the privilege of staging this particular fight in Tokyo so you had guys like Don King who who was smelling the money, he was smelling that money and you know for a fact as soon as the Japanese offered that sort of money he was taking it and it didn't really matter but the whole distraction of, of everything outside of the ring that you referred to you know, it was it was unbelievable to think that this fight went as long as it did and, and things didn't end so soon because that sort of catastrophic build-up for Tyson would have made most fighters lose, in my opinion, a lot sooner. But I think that was because of who Tyson was, why it went as, as long as it did. But then, like we say with Douglas, most men would have probably quit. Most men would have just said, no, I can't go ahead with the fight. But he was so obviously mentally in focus. And the thing was with this, there was no fear at all from James Buster Douglas going into this fight. Like I said earlier, what is the worst that the world and life could have threw at him? He'd, he'd suffered it. He'd suffered it in the lead-up to the fight. He'd suffered some of the worst things in life that you can go through. So he was 100% mentally in a place where he could fully focus on this fight, given everything that had happened outside of the ring. And it was unbelievable to think that this guy had gone through all this in the lead-up to the biggest fight of his life. Unbelievable. Completely, yeah. And, you know, even even his uh, trainer, J.D. McCauley, um, he was his uncle as well, at the time said, uh, after his mum died, was, I think, if anything, James will turn this into a positive. I really believe that. And that's exactly what he did. You hit the nail on the edge, Sean. He, he was completely in a different frame of mind to what Mike Tyson was. Um, and also, the other the other thing was, with everything else that was going on, with his, he got a divorce, he got his trainer, he's just in free fall, he's not listening to anybody. The other thing was that Don King, he's already setting up a fight for, um, for Evander Holyfield, who was sitting in the crowd waiting for a multi-million fight against uh, against Mike Tyson, just expecting him to blast him off. So, so you know, he, in, in the back of his mind, he thought we had this fight done. Um, and it, I think you know, there's only one... Uh, article or you know one person in particular that I could find that actually sort of backed Douglas and that was a guy um, four days before the fight Dave Anderson of New York Times and he wrote considering his competition the only person who can beat Tyson himself by not training by not caring by not surrounding himself with experienced tournament chances are Tyson will quickly swap James Buster Douglas into submission. Even so, reports from Tokyo, Tyson's training are enough to question if the champion is sabotaging his own regime, while sparring with Greg Page two weeks ago, he was floored by an overhand right. Over the weekend, he was described as sluggish and uh, in another sparring session. So, you know, he was probably the only guy that was alluding to the fact that, you know, the chances are... Tyson could lose this and he would lose it himself although Buster Douglas did, you know he was he put in the best performance of his life uh, and, and he turned all of his negatives into a positive whereas you know Tyson was just in free fall so yeah it, it was it was just uh, it was chaos wasn't it really and the Tyson camp and, and, and the people that he was surrounding himself with were just involved in the money and that was all that mattered so and Douglas was in it for the boxing and he wanted to to do it for his mum and and that you know that that is enough of a that that's going to get you going is it that 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 will just ignite you on the night and then um, it was he was ready to go it was funny because also 
in the build-up on the night of the fight. HBO boxing analyst Larry Merchant and Jim Lampley, both famous for, for some of the quotes and comments they came out with over the years during the HBO boxing period. They both expected it to be another 90-second annihilation. They really did. They were both quite negative about the fact that Douglas doesn't really have much of a chance here. And even on the night of the fight, instead of discussing Douglas' chances against Tyson, they actually started, sat there talking about comparing pets, as in Tyson had got a white pit bull named Duran after his idol, and then Douglas had a beagle named Shakespeare, and <laughs> and then Merchant was quoted as saying, this fight is over before it begins, or soon thereafter, and he was comparing James Buster Douglas to just another frozen tuna from the Tokyo fish markets. Larry, what are we about to see? Another 90-second annihilation of an ill-prepared opponent? Well, in the important game of expectations, this fight is over before it begins or soon thereafter. You have to remember that uh, just nobody believes anybody can compete with Mike Tyson. In fact, Ed Schuyler of the Associated Press, when he arrived in Tokyo, was asked by a customs official what he was doing here. He said he was here to cover the Tyson-Douglas fight. How long do you expect to work? The customs official asked. Oh, he said, about 90 seconds. The good news is that Douglas has fought his best fighters against the best fighters he's fought, so perhaps we'll get a few rounds. Uh, Also, Jim, uh, Douglas has a dog, a beagle named Shakespeare, and I believe that any prize fighter with a dog named Shakespeare can't be all bad. Buster Douglas tells us that his favorite Shakespearean play is the romantic tragedy Romeo and Juliet. Surely if Mike Tyson were asked that question, he would choose something more bloody and violent, perhaps Henry V or Macbeth things like that are just like nobody nobody was giving him a chance and this is what I'm trying to put into context of the fact that how big of an underdog James Buster Douglas was going into this particular fight that even the HBO commentators who are supposed to be impartial by the way are actually basically saying to the the viewers of the broadcast that yeah it's going to be over in 90 seconds is is a frozen tuna fish from the market I don't think you could be any more insulting towards a fighter than than that really and it was ridiculous but hey ho let's move on to the fight and let's go into this particular fight and this is where it becomes a, a, a great talk really because this is a fight that people will never ever forget and we say it time and time and again that is one of the biggest upset if not the biggest upset in boxing history and one of the biggest upsets in sporting history because of how it went down and all the stuff we've just talked about in the build up leads nicely into the fight because from the beginning of the fight you could see that Douglas wasn't afraid he came out and he weren't afraid he didn't go into a shell he didn't go on the back foot he went straight out and he went straight out for Tyson and he was using lateral movement straight away and he wasn't even cautious. He let his punches go straight away and that was what was quite impressive about watching the fight is that you could see then straight away there was there was no fear with him. He didn't care. He, he was there to, to do a job and become heavyweight champion of the world. And and he, he like you know, like so many other Tyson opponents, they were beaten before they stepped in that ring and, I, and Douglas wasn't. You know, He had been through the worst thing that ever, he had ever gone through in his life losing his mind only 23 days ago so you know that in his head he, you know he's not going to be skipped fighting over Mike Tyson in the ring what's the worst that could happen you know what I mean well he just put down and then fight, fight another day off, you know so uh, he, he was brilliant I mean he dominated that 
opening round. Um, literally no fear. Usually 12-inch reach to his advantage to perfection. And, you know, and just continually hit Tyson with jabs and right hands. And he, he danced out of reach from Tyson as soon as Tyson tried to go on the inside. So from the beginning of the fight, straight away, you know, it was it was evident that who was who was in complete control. Um, whether he, when you watch it at the time, you're probably expecting it doesn't really matter because Tyson's eventually going to land. But he surprised a lot of people. As you already said, you know, Jim Lampley and Larry Merchant were laughing and joking about the names of their dogs and also the fact that 90 seconds an- annihilation was what they predicted. So, good start for um, for Douglas and, and he proved a lot of people wrong from the off on that first round. What was impressive about the, the work from... Buster Douglas in the opening two rounds of the fight was that he was using them physical advantages to not let Tyson get on the inside because as we alluded to earlier in the episode, Tyson was really good against big guys. He used the fact that he was a smaller heavyweight to be able to get underneath the jab, slip on the inside and throw the uppercuts in which was one of his trademark punches but Douglas had obviously already had this worked out. Douglas was not letting him get on the inside and ironically enough, what was what was funny about the whole fight from the start was that Douglas was in control and then he actually finished the second round with a little snappy uppercut to Tyson's chin at the end of the second round which I thought was a brilliant shot and I think there's an absolute fantastic picture of it on Google Images if you go and search for it it's a brilliant shot of where he lands that uppercut and it's just it's ironic it was an ironic shot that he'd landed given that it was Tyson's trademark shot and what a great end to that second round and what a great start to the fight Douglas is getting Mike Tyson to reach in. When you reach in, that's what happens. Another good right hand and a good right uppercut and two more good rights by Douglas. I don't think I've ever seen Tyson absorb that kind of a four or five punch combination before in his professional career. Now, Mike is not going on. He's not attacking Buster Douglas, which indicates that there is some respect here. And also... And also a little puzzlement, Ray. He just doesn't seem to know how to go about it. That's another good round that I gave to Buster Douglas. Oh, it, I, I know exactly the picture you're talking about. It was a wonderful shot, wasn't it? Great uppercut. And uh, and yeah, who would have thought it for a big guy as well, you know, to, to be catching Tyson with uppercut. It shows you that there was just no defense at all. There was no, if he had that peekaboo start, didn't he? And that sort of just wasn't quite there. And he was just, his hands were too low. He was just literally hitting him at will, wasn't he? It was, it was, it was like he's just using his face as, as a block, if you like, for Tyson. And, you know, to Tyson's credit, Jesus, he showed he had a, a damn right unbelievable chin. But, yeah, that second round, Douglas again still just continued to dominate that fight. And then, pretty much the same, moving on into the third, um, Tyson did land a big lift to the, to the body, which sort of, you know, got Douglas looking at his corner. Um, but, other than that, it was a pretty straightforward round once again, for Douglas, you know, he just just continued to use his jab and just and and hit that overhand right. He hit hit the right hand so many times. It was like every round. You just think surely it, at some point Tyson's going to wake up in a minute and just move his head a bit quicker, which is something he was great at. He was moving he, he, the excellent head work he could do with the bigger guys and get on the inside and just throw those left hooks. And, and right, he had he had power in both hands as well. So it wasn't just the left. It would have been he could he could have caught with him with the right. You know, and a, a Tyson a year ago would have done that, and he just didn't do it. And uh, I, I'm even um, on the HBO uh, commentary, Sugar Ray Leonard in the third round even 
said, uh, sometimes, you know, you just don't have it. Things just don't click in for that night. So, you know, mate, that's that's the way Leonard was seeing it already. Won a third round. Leonard's almost sort of seeing that Tyson's he's looking worse for wear and this could be a long night. Yeah, and at the end of that third round, it, it wasn't a good round, really, for Tyson. It wasn't a good first quarter of the fight, to be honest with you. And so much so that his cornerman, Jay Bright, who he had in for this particular fight, was basically screaming at him and saying, he's like, don't just stand there and look at him. You've got to work. Tyson wasn't working. Don't just stand there and You're look at him. You're not closing the gap, Mike. you got to get inside by jabbing and moving your head. When you get in the inside, you got to punch. All right? Come on, man. Punch, jab, jab, overhand, right, come back with your left foot. Okay? Relax. Oh, you're too flat-footed in there. Right. Okay? Trust in what you know. Do it. Let it go. Tyson wasn't working at all. Tyson was literally turning into a plodder at this point. He was just walking forward and, and letting the shots come for Buster Douglas. And... Douglas then would go on to start to dominate the middle rounds. Tyson would land a few of them signature uppercuts, but Tyson was wobbled by a chopping right during the fifth round, and then it's at that point then that Tyson's... You start to see the physical side of things getting to him a little bit, because you start to see his left eye swell from all the jabs that he'd taken from James Buster Douglas that night, which... Obviously, when you're in the ring and you get an injury to the eye, either a cut or some type of swelling, you're effectively losing some of your vision, if not all of your vision, in that one eye. So you've got to think about, as a fighter in the ring, you lose that vision. You're not going to always see the punches coming. Oh, definitely. And, and, and you know, he used that to his advantage. And, he, you know, and, and credit just showed straight away. You were talking about, what, the full fifth round. I think it was... It was the fourth round you were starting to see like the little mass appearing, and eventually it just carried on getting worse because you just getting kept getting tagged with it with the jab in the right hand, and 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 then just it is just unbelievable that this just says it all about the corner he was with. with, with it, it, I, I'm lost for words when if you ever see, you see the picture of the latex glove that is just sort of filled with water and they're pushing up against him. I mean, these guys didn't even bring equipment to the ring with them because they were that confident that Tyson would get rid of Douglas before this round. They, 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 in their heads, they just couldn't, they, did, they couldn't even conceive the fact they could be getting into the fourth and fifth round, and Tyson could even have any swelling whatsoever. And even at one point, Aaron Snow, who was uh, Tyson's prim- primary corner man, caught, um, he, got, he caught a chain, so he had a, he had a chain, like an identification badge, hanging from his neck and um, it actually caught Tyson's eye and you can actually see Tyson wince in pain as he drags it through his injured eye to the other and it, the whole, it's literally a bunch of clans working in his corner and, and you know the, the other guys all sort of shouting and telling you've got to do this you've got to do that I mean it, they, they were just they they were they made him look terrible I mean whether Tyson just he didn't I don't think he listened to a word they were saying to be honest, he didn't look that way but it was just a mess. The whole thing is laughable, and it was just all building up to the point you're just thinking, Buster's just going to just beat him for, for for 12 rounds. It was really bad, the stuff that happened in the corner that night. And as you say, it was. they obviously wasn't prepared for the fact that this fight was going to go anywhere past three or four rounds because the fact that they didn't have the right equipment the the, the corner equipment that they should have had it's like a mini iron to, to, to push the swelling around it's to get rid of the swelling around the eye they didn't even have it that was unbelievable to see the fact that they had a latex glove filled with ice water and they were using it to try and reduce the swelling on his eye and then how ineffectual the corner was I can't even imagine 
being sat there with a swollen eye and one of your cornermen is leaning down and his his identification badge chain literally rips across the swelling in your eye. It's it's not great enough getting punched in the face as it is. And then to have swelling on your eye, to have some sort of pain already and then someone come across with a chain literally dragging it across your swollen eye. I can't even imagine that Tyson man, he was a tough man. Now if he winced at that, that must have been very, very painful for him at the time for that to happen but that was again just part of the catastrophic night it was turning out to be and the corner was ridiculous I I mean it was one of the biggest mistakes I think they made in this fight was the fact that they didn't have uh, an experienced corner and no disrespect to any of the guys in the corner but the the corner wasn't experienced enough for a fight of this magnitude really for, for, for Mike in terms of Mike Tyson and they didn't think about the fact that James Buster Douglas was there to, to actually fight and, and potentially win the fight. He was just there thinking, yeah, he's, he's going to knock this guy out, like everyone was saying. He's going to knock this guy out within 90 seconds. And it just got worse and worse. Confusion and panic just begin to grow in the corner as the rounds went on. They're not even giving him proper advice at, at all. They're basically telling him the same thing they told him from round one, which is to just move your head, jab your way inside, and just throw the right hand. And in the eighth round, Round, this was a round that Douglas dominated until the last few seconds of the round and HBO's Larry Merchant basically said in commentary Douglas is asking of Tyson some questions he hasn't been asked before in the last few rounds of a fight you have to come back and win it and this was something Tyson had not experienced at all before well just going back to the end of the eighth round Tyson you know this was a brilliant shot that he landed a big right uppercut after being backed onto the ropes that had sent Douglas down to the canvas and caused what was one of the most controversial moments in in boxing history aside from the eventual outcome of this fight this was also a very controversial moment and also something that happened quite recently in in modern boxing with Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder where the timekeeper started the count at a certain point now people's interpretation of the 10 count is that as soon as that fighter's back or hand or knee touches the floor the count starts immediately the count doesn't start until the referee starts the count and that's what a lot of people forget when it comes to boxing so going through then (laughs) getting to the controversial moment and obviously I want to know what your take is on this because this was something that wouldn't be left to lie even after the fight I've never never seen this happen before with Mike Tyson he's always been initiated here he's against the ropes I've never seen and there's a right hand uppercut and down goes Douglas as suddenly as that can he beat the count he got a little overconfident got a little loosey-goosey still wobbly let's see what Mike can do to finish and the bell ends to save Buster Douglas at the end of round eight oh I think he, Tyson still believes that it was a it was a ten a ten count and he should have he should have ended the fight with that. But as you precisely spot on the show, it isn't the timekeeper. The timekeeper will start the count, but I believe the re- the referee actually started his count a couple of seconds after. So it was a longer ten count, but it's a referee's count. You've got to remember that you know that you know if you asked I don't know ten people to count to ten and you actually timed it. I reckon five of them people will ca- will get the 10 on time when they stop the clock, as soon as they say a 10. Others will go over, some will probably go a little bit slower because that's just the way it is. 
it's it's never you know it's not a clock people just need to just get that out of their head even Deontay Wilder did it and Tyson done it with his fight Wilder done it as you as you said with Fury where they're using a clock so as soon as he goes down it's not the case it's the referee's count so you know although it was over 10 seconds um he was up at nine some referees could have called it off but the bell did ring and I think he probably thought, look, he's up. He's got two feet before 10. I'm going to give him his chance and send it to the corner. He's winning the fight. So that's, I think, that's, for me, that's good refereeing. Yeah, no, it definitely was good refereeing because this, this at this point was going to be argued a lot after the event had happened, after the end of the fight. So then we go into what was a dramatic ninth round. You knew what was going to happen. Douglas was hurt. Douglas came out with only a minute's rest for the ninth round, and we all knew, as fans, as commentators, that Tyson was going to come out and try and finish the show, basically. He came out really aggressively to try and end the fight and save his title, because at this point he's losing quite badly, and he was hoping that he was going to be able to get Douglas and hurt him. He was, you know, clearly still hurt from that eighth round knockdown because you got to remember it happened the last 10 seconds of the eighth round as well so he was still a bit dazed from the fact that he took that great uppercut but Douglas was actually able to fight back and fight off Tyson and close Tyson's eye completely some of the punches that were traded in this particular round was brilliant there was a four punch combination that staggered Tyson back to the ropes and then with Tyson hurt along the ropes Douglas closed in and unleashed a vicious four punch attack to try and knock Tyson out and then Tyson Tyson came back trying to fight Douglas off, but it was in vain because he, at this point his gas tank is going, he's losing the fight, his eyes swollen up. Douglas is trying his best to finish the fight. Tyson's trying to fight back. At the, at the end of the round comes to a close, and Tyson had managed to withstand the punishment. And for me, he'd only just about survived that ninth round after what was a huge round and a huge combat round for for Buster Douglas. And when we talk about rounds in fights and some of the greatest rounds we've covered in some of the episodes quite recently. This has got to be one of the most underrated rounds in boxing ever. Yeah, I think I think you're hundred percent right. We we do neglect the fact that, you know, with with round nine in particular because literally because you just with the amount of stuff other stuff that's going on, you know, we're even surrounded a fight beforehand and then the actual shock of the fight and then the long count. So it's sort of you just you forget how good this round is. I I even forgot watching it back again how good round nine is. I just always expecting to see the end like the, the two knockdowns in eight and in and, and ten and sort of neglect nine. But it was brilliant. It was literally a, one of the most dramatic rounds you will see in boxing. You know, I advise anyone to just go and look at the ninth if you don't want to watch the whole fight. you know, fine, I would watch the whole fight but the ninth round in particular is a brilliant fight. You know, as you say, he, he staggered Tyson and, and Tyson looked hurt. And then he, he, he just looked like it was inevitable that Tyson eventually is going to, the referee's going to stop it. But I mean, to, to, to Tyson's credit, I mean, he was a lot of punishment. He barely survived round nine. But, you know, it wasn't looking good. And I think with Tyson obviously putting him down in the eighth, I think, as you say, he's come out aggressively. He's tried to, to take him out early and he emptied that gas tank in that sort of first minute because he, he couldn't get rid of him and, and Douglas showed he also has got a, a, a good chin and, and he put to bed all those, you know, the rumours and what people mentioned about Douglas when he fought Tucker because he, 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 by this point against Tucker, he, he probably would have just given in and anyone could have just, you know, if he'd have got eight, nine rounds and then it was counted off or the referee stopped it or he did decide, you know what, I've had enough, then no one would have ever, people would have still said that, you know, what a fantastic fight he gave Tyson but to, to to his credit, maybe with his mum dying and 
just other things going on in his head. He just battled through it and then just turned it again. And, and seeing Tyson in that sort of trouble was unbelievable to see. It was. And that 10th and final round of the fight was iconic. It's history-making. It's one of the greatest it ends to a fight you'll ever see because of the significance of what it meant to boxing and boxing history. We had the guy who was the baddest man on the planet, the guy who was was touted to go on and break that record of Joe Lewis's 25 title defences, the guy that was just an unbelievable fighter for, for, for the 1980s and was obviously a, a, a history-making guy, a guy who we still talk about today, a guy we put there amongst the best heavyweights ever. But this 10th round... Tyson knew coming out of that corner he just knew he had no choice but to push this fight obviously in his mind he he was losing quite bad and although the scorecards told us a different story which we'll talk about at the end of this particular round he obviously knew he was behind he obviously knew he, he was potentially on the verge of losing this fight so he'd come out even though he was still clearly affected from that previous round and he tried to walk forward he tried to walk Douglas down but Douglas straight away he just measured him with a few jabs before landing what was a devastating uppercut it rocked Tyson back stopping him in his tracks Tyson obviously trying to come back again he's trying to walk forward trying to land his own shots through but Douglas immediately followed that through with the four punches to the head which dropped Tyson for the first time in his professional career in what was one of the most famous scenes of Mike Tyson trying to beat the count fumbling around looking for his mouthpiece on the floor and as he managed to try to get to his feet the referee had seen enough counted him out Buster Douglas then becomes the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world and one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. Rolling willingly just to try to get in the shot that will finish things in. Oh, the uppercut. What an uppercut by Douglas. And down goes Tyson. It's over. It's over. Mike Tyson has been knocked out. Unbelievable. This makes Cinderella look like a sad story. What Buster Douglas has done here tonight. Let's go ahead and call it the biggest upset in the history of heavyweight championship fights. Say it now, gentlemen. James Buster Douglas, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. That again, the tenth round was brilliant. I mean, Douglas, you could see he knew he had him from that nine. I think in his in his head, he's thinking, "I can't." Now, I wonder if that was my chance at the end of nine. You just wonder if that was is that it? But um, I mean, even Douglas, he he still knew in his head. He thought after round nine, it's just going to be another. You know, it's going to be another. It's going to be ten. It's going to be eleven. And twelve. And we're going to go to the point. We're going to go to the judges' scorecards. This is so he's going to need to win the fight. He didn't believe he was going to stop Tyson, um, and he even said that when he did put Tyson. Down. Even when Tyson was on the floor, Douglas expected Tyson to get up. He said it wasn't until he sort of scrambled for the gum shield that he realised he'd got him. He thought, I've done it. I've done it. That was the moment in his head. And, and it was a bizarre thing to do. And it's one of the most famous pictures you could ever see with Tyson on the deck with that mouthpiece in his hand. And uh, it, you, you do wonder, you know, with everything, what was he thinking? Why didn't he just try and... What was, what, what was the point of going for the mouthpiece? Just leave the mouthpiece on the floor and get up. And you would have made the 10 count but you know I mean he did effectively get up on nine he was up but he was staggering um, and, uh, and the referee again made another a big call and he made a right call but um, 
yeah, it was it was a great finish from Buster Douglas, and it was an unbelievable viewing just to see Tyson in the, the trouble he was in, and just that famous the gun still hanging out of his mouth, <laughs> in, in the corner of his lip, and the referee calling it off. So yeah, big 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 shock, and credit to Buster, he was he was brilliant throughout the whole fight. The only one knock he could have is obviously that, that eighth round getting caught with a one left hook and really putting down. As you did say, as you mentioned before, Sean, he was caught with a few left hooks. So, so it wasn't like there was just a one punch. He had been caught with those left hooks to the body, to the head, a couple of times during the fight, two times during the fight. That one in particular put down in the eighth. But all credit to Douglas. He battled bravely and he deserved his victory. He was the better man on the night. And yeah, moving on to the aftermath of Don King, who weren't too best pleased with how, it was, how, how the fight went. Um, and he was just, uh, you know, we, as you said, you could probably, you could talk for hours about Don King. And I just, that geezer was absolute snake. So uh, credit to Buster, really pleased for the guy. And, and what, what, what a great victory for him to be the first man to not only put Tyson down, but to beat him. Buster Douglas, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Can you believe that? Uh, yeah, it's happening. Why did it happen, James? Because I wanted it. Why? Why did you win this fight that nobody on the planet gave you? Mother. mother. In what way? God bless her heart. Yeah, and as I was talking about the scorecards earlier, through the nine rounds, it was scored 87-86 for Tyson, 86-86 even, and 88-83 for Douglas, which was the card, after watching it back, I felt was the most accurate card out of the three. But subsequently, something that, that a lot of people may or may not know about this fight was two of the three judges were Japanese judges for this particular fight, with it being held in Tokyo. And that makes me think whether that dunking money was paying them Japanese judges off because how they had one round to Tyson and 86-86 even is still beyond me looking back on that fight. The American judge ironically was the one that gave it 88-83 for Douglas which I felt was the most accurate score of the fight and yeah going back to it it's it's unbelievable to think that two of the judges had it so close and, and, and obviously uh, one of them had Tyson in front as well. Oh, it's beyond me. Blatantly something dodgy going on there. I mean, even uh, Bert Sugar said that he, if he was there, or he said he was there, I can't think if he said he was there, but he said on the way to try and speak with, with the judges to find out what they were scoring and tripped over their guide, their guide dogs. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was it, uh, terrible. I mean, blatantly corruption involved. Uh, you know, there's, there's no way, no bones about it. And, and Don King, the king of corruption, so corruption. So, yeah, I, I'm glad for Buster Douglas that he might he did put Tyson away because that would have been unbelievable if, if, if that had gone to the scorecards and uh, and Tyson had won that fight because there was no way in hell Tyson. I, I think I would give Tyson a round to be honest with you. I think I'd give every round all apart from obviously the eighth. But then even then, the eighth, I had Buster Douglas winning the round because he happened so late in the eighth. So, you know, for me, I would score that. 10-9 before the knock, knockdown and then obviously with the knockdown it then becomes an 8 so you know effectively it's a 9-8 isn't it really so it's probably the one round that Tyson wins so yeah um, I have no idea what the hell they were watching <laughs> 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 
No, definitely weren't. And as you was alluding to uh, uh, a short while ago, in the immediate aftermath of the fight, Tyson's camp, led by Don King, protested the result, and the post-fight press conference was funny as anything. If you go on and watch it, you had Don King, you had all Tyson's team, all sat there with a little TV that they'd rolled in out of that room in the, in the primary school that you used to see where they'd bring the TV out back in the 90s. And they'd had the TV and they had a replay of the count of Douglas being down on the ground. And they're all sat there counting it on the fingers. And Don King's like, no, I'm not having this. So as a result of his complaints, the WBC and WBA initially agreed and suspended recognition of Douglas as the champion. And although the IBF immediately accepted that the result was valid after a public outcry and demands from boxing commissions around the world that they acknowledged Douglas as the champion the protest was eventually withdrawn and Douglas was recognised four days after the fight in spite of the fact that he had an inspired and dominant performance and the majority of boxing fans around the world knew <laughs> you know that he was the champion nobody was contesting the count of Douglas being down other than Don King and his camp and he was so close to getting that decision overturned or, or put as a no contest I tell you what it was that would have absolutely ruined boxing history if that would have happened but it was very very close and there's a lot of people that may not know how close it was to en- ending up becoming a no contest oh, that, it was disgusting it really was and the fact that the WBA and WBC it wouldn't recognise him straight away is just ridiculous and it just shows you with these organisations even today that you know when, when someone like Don King's got the money and the clout and power he's able to influence his governing body that it was nobody else would have even doubting it I mean alright fine was a long count but again it, you know there's no denying that, but, that Buster Douglas won that won that fight and you know I, I say long count it, it's not it's a referee's count it's, it's two seconds out from a from a timed count but again it was a long count it, I think they both they both had long counts in actual fact that I think the referee's count was almost identical to the count that Douglas had so you know end of the day it, it is what it was um, and it, that is just disgraceful from the other two organisations I'm, I'm pleased the RBF recognised him immediately you know, I'm pleased for Buster Douglas that eventually was given you know given that the, the, the titles um, I mean and, and also he was he was on the uh, cover he was the cover photo of the Sports Illustrated with the title um, and it said Rocky lives on the, on the front as well if it, <laughs> you can see a picture of that and, and uh, Tyson was also uh, supposed to a little WWF fact Tyson was supposed to be on a uh, make an appearance in February 1990 on uh, WWF, uh, the main event special guest re- as a special guest referee. But in actual fact, because Tyson lost, uh, they gave it to Buster Douglas instead. <laughs> so he made his way to uh, to the WWF to, to referee and about to see Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. So <laughs> there's a little key fact there for you, I thought, for the WWE fans. <laughs> So after the fight, there were obviously plans for various matchups to take place. So they tried to get a rematch with Douglas, and that didn't happen. So eventually, Douglas went on to fight the number one contender, who was Evander Holyfield. Now, going into the fight with Holyfield, Douglas weighed 14.5 pounds more than what he did for the fight with Tyson, and eventually was knocked out by Holyfield in the third round. For Douglas, he retired after this fight, as what you alluded to earlier, and then six years later, he launched a comeback after almost dying in a diabetic coma. He did win a few fights against journeyman opposition, and he ended up fighting for the last time 
time in 1999. There was a lot of rumours that he was going to end up rematching Tyson throughout the 90s, but they never ended up facing off again, which was quite strange and sad. But I suppose, in some respects, it's what makes this fight a, a, a beautiful tale to tell, really, is the fact that he was a guy who, who seemingly had not done enough to, to put himself in that position, although he did on paper, he, he was a guy that ended up not. He didn't, didn't go into do. He didn't go on to do anything afterwards. After it was like a mm. rocky story. He won the world titles, lost them in his next fight, and never went on to do anything significant again. For Tyson, obviously the the rest is history. Really, I don't want to touch too much on Tyson's career after that because there's so many other nights which we could record for legendary nights it's unbelievable but at the time he lost to Douglas they'd actually been negotiating for a fight with a former sparring partner Greg Page there was also talks of him fighting George Foreman when he returned to the ring that would have been promoted by the Sultan of Brunei as well which was uh, which was unbelievable that dunking money again talking but just imagine the possibilities of Mike Tyson versus George Foreman in the 90s that that's just something that sort of whets the appetite it's a fantasy fight <laughs> it really really that would have been a cracking fight actually but uh, yeah um, I mean, yeah, as you say it was Tyson after his career I mean it was it, once again it, you could do legendary nights for, for a lot of it but what one uh, one thing I just wanted to pick up with with Evander Holyfield uh, with the end of Evander Holyfield fight was that they actually, um, the Mirage Casino won the right to promote the fight themselves. They actually won a purse bid by bidding $32.1 million, which is still today a record. They actually beat uh, Holyfield's promoter, ma- uh, main event, who bidded, uh, I believe it was something like $20 million or $29 million. But um, So the, the Mirage Casino, Steve Wynn, he was the owner of the Mirage. He promoted the fight himself. Um, and he, he he found that Douglas was putting on this weight, as as you alluded to earlier, um, and he was concerned about it. So he actually uh, sorted a private suite with with a sauna for uh, Douglas to try and sweat off his weight and make sure he gets himself into shape. But he was pissed off later on to find out that he was actually ordering room service from his sauna uh, um, and spending ninety eight dollars worth on food. So, you know, it was clearly. You know, enduring his life. I mean, it was guaranteed or he did get a $24.6 million payday, you know, from for the for the Holyfield fight. So he was he was in a great position, wasn't he, really? I mean, he did probably just surrender the fight. Um, he put on way too much weight. And even on the weigh-ins, when the weigh-ins came in, so many people just went, put money on Holyfield straight from the weigh-in. You know, he, he, he had come in so much heavier than the fight. So, yeah, it was, it's just, Buster Douglas, obviously, you know, he he um, he got he, he had, you know he'd always be remembered for this for this win, and rightly so. But um, you know, after that, it was just one of them things. He, I think, he earned his money, and then that was it, wasn't it? You know, he, I think he got like what did he get like three million for the title fight? He walked away with twenty four point six million, you know, for the Holyfield fight. So good for him. He made his money, and it is a bit like a Cinderella man, like you know, you, you mentioned as well, like with. Um, a few others with Rocky, but you know, you beat the man up Cinderella Man, as in Broderick, he beats Max Bear and then loses to Joe Lewis straight away. And it's the same sort of thing with Buster Douglas. Beats one of the most dangerous heavyweights around of all time and then just gets annihilated by 
Van der Holmesfield. But, you know, unfortunate for Buster, but, yeah, it is what it is. It was, it's just a great, great fight for cover. And this, for me, was the end of the amazing Tyson era, to be honest, because after this particular fight had happened, he would go on to fight four more times before being convicted of raping a beauty pageant contestant in 1991. And for me, when he spent, obviously, them years in prison, they were essentially his best years of his career, or well, you know, when we when he came back, I don't think he was ever the same again. And again, there's some nights which we'll we'll probably talk about in the future for legendary nights, but they'll never compare to the era of the 80s and obviously very early 90s and up to this point where he he lost the fight to James Buster Douglas. That was that was the Mike Tyson that everybody will always compare to the the greats like Muhammad Ali and Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano. That was the Tyson that everybody thought was one of the best. You know heavyweights of all time after that i don't think his career was ever the same and this was for me this was the start of his downfall uh, as a fighter although he would eventually end up fighting on until around 2005 this was the the beginning of the end really this loss to buster douglas for me was the beginning of the end of the the baddest man on the planet yeah i completely agree i think i think they lost he lost that fear factor. I think one thing that Buster Douglas proved is that he wasn't this animal. He was he was actually mortal. He's human. <laughs> this guy can actually you can actually get to him and you can take him out. And, and and he sort of lost that aura about him. So so fighters went into the ring a little bit more confident. I mean, following following the Buster Douglas loss anyway. I mean, he did fight Henry Tillman, who who Tillman actually beat Tyson uh, twice in the build up to the '84 Olympics. And he actually went on to win the gold medal. So there was a little bit of history between us. So that was a it was a good victory for him to come out of that Buster Douglas to beat Henry, Henry Tillman. But obviously, the, 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 you know, the Donovan Ruddock fight is almost irrelevant because, you know, he goes into prison and, you know, he loses those those prime years in his career. I mean, it's hard to believe if Tyson was around for those six years, you know, what he could have gone on to achieve. But even with this defeat, you know, he could have he could have gone on to be, to dominate even more. And have, who knows what he could have done it because he was still devastating and he is still quite rightly so you know up there with one of the best heavyweights ever that's ever lived and i think there's you know but like you say he lost his blatantly you know the two of and the holyfield fights for instance you know he, he was just losing his way a little bit um uh, the one uh, the one thing i always remember as well when he came out of prison it was his first fight against uh peter mcneely it, i think he lost in a disqualification mcneely but it's his first fight coming back from uh from prison coming out of prison and and it was billed as uh he's back and i just that always sent a shiver down by spine because i always see like mike tyson like you know coming through the door like uh, Johnny in, in The Shining, you know. <laughs> Johnny, <laughs> it's just a petrifying thought that Mike Tyson's going out of prison. It's like, just lock up your daughter, mate, because, you know, one of these slipping around. But, yeah, it, it, I'm with you, mate. It, it, it was a shame because, no, as you say, there were peak years for Tyson. I mean, he may have peaked early. Maybe this was the, 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 the downside for him. But I still think with, with someone, you know, someone like Kevin Rooney, if he was in his corner, for instance, he probably would have got through that fight against Buster Douglas because he would have had the right equipment and he would have given the right advice but had him in the right frame of mind but yeah he lost something in that fight well what he did lose was the fear factor although he did you know he he done Bruno again didn't he as well so but yeah uh, just a great fight to cover Sean and just it's just great to just 
look back on Mike Tyson's fights. Just you know, it's just brilliant. And, and that is the episode. That is the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas from way back in February 1990. I hope everybody that's listened to this episode has really enjoyed it. There was so much to cover off, so many details, so many facts, stuff that you may have known, stuff that you may have not known, stuff that I've learned while recording this episode. So I tell you, I've really enjoyed doing this one because it was one of, if not the greatest upset in sporting history it was the greatest upset in boxing history of all time in my opinion and it was such an enjoyable episode to cover that i think it was it was for me probably the best one we've done for legendary nights to date oh i, I couldn't agree with you more it's you know it's not just about the fight it was just everything else that surrounded it you know, Mike Tyson was ferocious, terrifying. You know, he terrified the life out of all of his opponents. And Buster just wasn't scared. He went in there that night and and and, and he'd done what nobody else had done. It, it seemed impossible that no one could stop him. But then in 1990 in Tokyo, Tyson self-destruct. Buster Douglas beats him. And, well, what a legendary night to cover. So that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, The Legendary Night's Tale of Tyson versus Douglas. If you've enjoyed this, as per all the other episodes, please go and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify. It will be on Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel if you prefer to listen to it through there as well. Go and find us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod. Follow us, tell all your friends about us, get sharing the episodes around social media because it truly helps us grow as a platform and as a podcast. And find us on Facebook as well at BTR Boxing Podcast. Share it all around there too. We really, really appreciate all the support that you've been giving to us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode the tale of Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas. You can write everything down if you want to. Be brave enough to write every one of your goals down, but I'm gonna tell you something. Life's gonna hit you in your mouth and you gotta do me a huge favor. Your why has to be greater than that knockdown. And I love it, Buster Douglas got knocked out. Nobody ever got knocked out by Mike Tyson and ever got back up. It was almost a 10 count. He was stumbling, they were four, three, two. One, and ding, 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 saved by the bell. He goes to his corner, the whole world is like, yep, that's it. Once he comes back out, that's it. Mike's gonna just hammer him, and exactly that. Mike Tyson came out like, I got him. I got this kid up against the rope. Listen to me, many of you right now, life's got you up against the rope. You can't give up, you can't give in. Listen to me, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And if life's got you backed up, I need you to do what Buster Douglas did. Buster Douglas start fighting back. The world was shocked. <gasps> Goliath has been knocked down. What happened? And they went to Buster Douglas and they asked Buster Douglas simply like, what happened? And Buster Douglas said, listen to me, it's real simple. Before my mother died, she told the whole world that I was going to beat Mike Tyson. Buster Douglas had, he had a decision to make. When his mother died, he could die with his mother or he made a decision, I can wake up and I can live for mom. And he knocked Mike Tyson out simply because his why was greater than that punch. His why was greater than defeat. His why was greater than his trial and his tribulation. And I'm telling you, if you don't know what your why is and your why isn't strong, you're going to get knocked out every single day. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.